0: Charles McFall, the rock god of podcasting. This is my show. This is Ask Me Anything. It's been a bit of Kevin Smith to storytelling, right? I'll tell you anything. Use a little bit of dirty language. Beast Tony Robbins. You're going to learn something about your life. It's going to help you out a little bit with you. All my flavor all over. I've been talked about. I've been described as an energy drink with a side of uh, fist in the face for breakfast in the morning. So (laughs) here you go. This show is all about you asking your questions and you have been. Thank you very much for sending in your questions. Keep sending those in. RGOP at charlesmcfall.com is the email address. You can go to rockgodofpodcasting.com. Click on the speak pipe and record your voicemail right there. And of course, facebook.com forward slash rock God of podcasting is the place to go. to interact with me, to see my weekly rants as I go through with different ideas. It's not always a rant, but usually it's a rant because on Facebook, things make me angry. So I get to use the Rock on a Podcasting to voice that and give my differing opinions there. So with all that being said, today, we've got a speak pipe call from Chris Wisdom, who works with me on Breaking the Panel and has uh, honestly been influential in a lot of different things that we do. And uh, I thought I knew he listened, and it's really cool to get a question from him. So, Mike, I know you've got the question. What do you got for me? Okay, Charles, it's Chris. Uh, I just want to talk to you about something that you allude to quite a bit on the show, and I know it affects a lot of us because I feel the same way a lot of times. Um, You've talked a few times about about rage and anger, and I just want to know from another, from a fellow rageaholic, how you uh, how you manage that beast and and when you uh, when you allow it to come out how you can use it as motivation how you can use it as power but also how you how you keep that inside at the appropriate moments and and you know give us those 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 examples of weakness too if you can let us know when you when you let it get out of hand and uh, what you've done to uh, keep it under control. All right, man, that's all I got for you. Keep it up, and uh, I can't wait to hear the show later. So that's that's a long question. And I don't mean the way he phrased it. I, uh, it it's so many things in there. Um, I, I definitely have so many stories that, that pop up. I guess we'll do it chronologically, basically, where it came from. So I grew up, uh, as I've said many, many times, I've grown up the son of a preacher man. Uh, my earliest, some of my earliest memories is my dad being in seminary at Louisiana. He went to the Baptist churchy church, whatever it was, in New Orleans, and we lived there for however long it took. And I was three. Yeah, I think my sister was born there. So not a lot of memories to be had till a little bit later in life. We moved when I was five, almost six. So I, mean, I remember some of it. I remember the big, big church that my dad was a part of. Uh, as part of uh, uh, his schooling, I'm not sure what staff position he had there. Uh, the church was so big, so at the time, this is you're talking about 1980 is when we were there, and back in that day, I don't believe there were just huge Christian labels, right? Uh, if you wanted to be a big Christian church singer, you had to be in a big place that could afford it to have that kind of thing, maybe. Uh, go on and I, I i don't know i wish i didn't know more about that because i'm now in that kind of business of producing shows and would love to know more about the history of that music while i was there but there was a guy named ray something or other i cannot remember ray's last name but he was a fairly big deal in the christian community music community he was a uh, it has nothing to do with rage it's just a cool story <laughs> he has <laughs> he had he, he was the minister of music at this huge church's kenner k-e-n-n-e-r i believe kenner baptist it was massive is all i can remember it was in this is in 1980 and it i remember just huge uh, uh auditorium uh, sanctuary and i remember i can particularly remember a time i'm up in the balcony for whatever reason and, look, and you're seeing this Ray guy perform on stage and do his thing, and it was a huge stage. I mean, it's stuff that we don't blink too much at nowadays in the 2000s, you know, uh that we have mega churches and we have productions. But then it wasn't like that, but this church was doing that. I just remember we had his tapes and records at our house. Uh, I don't know if they were free or if we bought them. They were good. I remember enjoying them as a kid. But I, I I do remember asking my mom at some point about it, and the basic gist is he was a big deal. He made his own albums of gospel music i'm not sure what the style was then for him but he made his own albums and sold them and they were pretty big across the nation or even the world i don't i don't know but anyway that was that so i, I grew up there by remembering that this happy kid bought into all the religion that was fed to me bought into every aspect of things wholeheartedly uh, I remember moving and we moved to the place that I have talked about. I'm pretty sure. So I, I have indeed told the story in depth of, of getting So we went from Kenner to Camilla, which is where all that happened. I was five years old when we moved there, almost six. I remember that clearly because only because my my mom knew I was smart enough to be in first grade. My birthday is September 21st at the time. The cutoff for the grades was September 1st because they even it's an arbitrary number. They do have to have a number of saying, "Okay, your birthday has to be before this date. I get it. But she pushed she showed test scores, you know, and they allowed me into first grade instead of putting me back into kindergarten, which I'd already completed because my mom had a teaching degree and she had ordered all the gear. There was no such thing as homeschooling at the time and. We, are a part, we were a part of that group in the early 80s that pioneered homeschooling. And now, I mean, there's stuff online, there's online homeschooling, and there's all kind of groups and different things. Well, I've been accused of being a name dropper, but I've been a part of history, and I've made history. That's my life. My, part of my life is making history as we go, and I have no qualms about that. So, yeah, I was I was absolutely a part of the homeschooling revolution in the 80s in Georgia, South, South Georgia specifically. And uh, I've been homeschooled from second grade. So you're talking about when I was seven years old. If I was born in 77, you can do the math. I mean, you're talking 85-ish, I think it is, somewhere in there. So, anyway, uh, you – so I was six when we moved, and all kind of stuff happened. I uh, talked about that. Ultimately, the politics of the church played in, and we were put out on the street. But that is the the origin of me breaking and turning into this, this rage monster. Because before that, I mean, before that, no real memories of anything but innocence essentially sure I would get angry every kid does sure I'd have bad days every kid does sure I'd get in trouble blah 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 but as far as stories from my family go and as far as memories and you can even see a change in the pictures you know if you find pictures from back then of me as a kid and this and I see it in my children now is this innocence is there and I, I look at I look at my kids and and I look at my son who's 11. And this spring, he'll be 12. And I was thinking, man, by your age, I was not nearly as smart because I was sheltered. And I don't shelter my kids at all. I give them answers. I teach them stuff. I push them to be adult human beings. Not holding them to adult levels of responsibility, but saying, okay, that joke was stupid, but you're a funny person. Here's how you structure it better. You know, giving them education, those kind of things. But I do look at him and go, man, around your age is when I really started having issues. And fortunately, our life is is opposite of that. And that's great. But I was 12 years old when all this stuff went down with the church. Now, leading into that, there was so much shit going on in the church uh, for me. My experience, I did. I wasn't aware of all the politics and all the other stuff, but there was this. There was this one football game. I may have told this, but it's part of the story. so I'm gonna tell it again. There was this one. We'd always play football. That's what boys do, right? You, you. Well, okay. For politically incorrect audiences, this was the eighties. This was how I was raised in the South. Uh, I don't believe my parents would have encouraged this. I don't know that I've, I've said it around them too much. Other than I asked them what queer was. But we played Smear the Queer, which is, yes, a very derogative term about beating up gays. But that's not what we are doing, but that is what we had learned. And I'm talking about 8, 9, 10 years old where you don't understand exactly what you're talking about. So this is the stuff that is being taught to us by the people around us. But what it was is you take a football. Everybody's probably played it. You probably call it different things. But you take a football. You throw it up in the air with this group of boys around and girls. If they wanted to get tackled, they could play too. And whoever caught it, whoever's brave enough to catch it, you run, and everybody else tries to tackle you. And we're we we play different versions of that. We play real football sometimes, this and that and the other. And I just I always had issues with people making fun of me and bullying me. And maybe part of that was being sensitive. I don't know. I don't have any very clear memories of this time. And I don't have a very I don't have any unbiased recordings of it. I don't have any unbiased uh, stories from my parents because my parents were always behind me. I mean, there was everybody has human issues, right? Everybody has baggage, and my parents' baggage always brought them to stand behind me, period. To, to fight people who wanted to do anything against me. I don't know all the stories behind it. Anyway, so I, I don't have very clear memories other than being bullied. And being made fun of, and perhaps I brought it on myself. Perhaps some of it was actually good natured. You know, people try your boys bust balls, and it's not always the best way to do things. But you know, the, what's the the go to thing for kids is if a boy pulls your hair for a girl, he means he likes you. That happens with guys too. Is you be rough with people, you can mock them or whatever, and that makes them a part of the group. I don't know if some of that was that. I do remember a lot of it was damaging to me. I didn't understand why people didn't like me. I didn't understand a lot. I still don't understand uh, because I don't have all the information. But this one story, we're playing Smear the Queer, and somebody had the ball. And we would pile on. I mean, that's what you would do. And, yeah, I was always a big boy. I had uh, some issues. I already had issues, not anger, rage issues, but I definitely had issues by this point because I was overweight and uh, tall, Anyway, I mean I I was always taller than everybody else around me. And I ended up jumping on this pile like I like you do. And I'm standing there and all of a sudden I see this motion and then I see stars and I'm peeking my guts out. This little dickhead kicked me in my nuts for no reason. And at church, and I mean I'm sitting there cry, you know doing that high pitched noise that you do and I'm crying and I'm, my stomach hurts and and somebody finally helps me out. Some other kid, I guess, helps me out. Goes. It's a Wednesday night. So in the south at church on Wednesday night, you have dinner. And all the adults were at dinner. We were out playing. So I had to be walked around the sanctuary, which was difficult to do, to where the dinner was. And I sat in a place. Uh, I didn't go into the dinner, but I sat down. And somebody went and got my mom for me. And, and she came and and this uh, and and. I don't remember her reaction because I was still processing all the pain. I mean, it it never had that happen before. And I do remember the kid's dad coming over. And I told the story. I mean, he just kicked me for no reason. Well, his thing was uh, I jumped on him and hurt him, so he reacted. And his dad thought that was fucking okay. So this is the kind of bullshit I went through in the goddamn motherfucking south at a fucking church that this dickhead dad thought it was okay that his son really physically assaulted me for no reason in a very harsh way because because we all piled on, but somehow I hurt him and it was okay that he kicked me like that. As an adult now, as a parent, I would have just punched him in the throat. So that starts a great conversation. Let's set the tone for the conversation, punch you in the throat. Okay, here's how this is going to go while you're choking for breath. You stupid motherfucker. This is my world. This is my goddamn church. Because My dad was the associate pastor there. You want to fuck with me? Let's roll, motherfucker. But that's not how that went there. I don't know what my parents did. I mean, this dickhead was one of the, one of the guys behind trying to get my dad going. Anyway, he always caused problems. God, I hope he died a horrible death. <laughs> alone. I am not kidding. I know words are powerful. This douchebag. Douchebags. And people who are inherent bullies, who think it's okay to do that kind of stuff, and the other feelings I got off of him and other people I've met in this world along these lines, now I have their problems going, no, I hope you die a horribly lonely death and that you're miserable at the end of it. Because I fully believe in universal reconciliation and that as soon as you die, uh, everything's going to be forgiven and God's got you. But right now, I want you to fucking suffer because you cause misery in this world and you need to taste it, motherfucker. Anyway, there's some of that beast, Chris. So I had experiences like this constantly from adults, from kids at this place. I mean, (sighs) Camilla was my Sunnydale. It was a hell mouth. (laughs) It was a hell mouth. And I can't remember learning anything good there. When they, ultimately, when the politics kicked in, when they voted my dad out, uh I remember when my parents took us to North Carolina where my grandparents lived, beautiful mountain. They were on the side of a mountain. And they sat us down and finally explained to us. And we had a, or maybe it was Florida. I don't remember. I think it was Florida, actually. Because my grandparents had a place in North Carolina, had a place in Florida. I think we were in Florida because my dad had friends who worked at Disney at that time back in the 80s. Or actually, this is a... Uh, 12 so i guess it's close to 90s late 80s early 90s you can still get free tickets to disney if you worked there i think now it's just a big discount i don't think you can or if you get free you can't give it away i don't know it's not nearly as simple now and that's business and that's fine but we got either super discount or free tickets to epcot center and so i remember spending time there and then at the end of this week because my parents basically wanted to give a very good experience to have a good memory to latch on to to try to offset this it it didn't work for me. I don't know about my sister, but it didn't work for me. But I get what they're saying. Flash forward to my life now, I did not do that with my kids at all. When we were going to lose the house, we sat. We just flat out sat them down in the house. No new memories, no nothing, and just said, this is how it's going to go. It's okay to be upset. You're going to get to be upset for a while. And then you've got a period of time to ask your questions and question why. But then I'm going to need you to let it go because it is life and we have to move on and that's how i dealt with my kids i hope it did better for them they don't seem to be super traumatized by that event and it was our doing i mean we had no enemy to blame it on it was this is life i lost my job we have some debt this is what happens it sucks, but we're but what I showed them was this positive we're going to rise up and move on. What well, my parents did, was tried to hide all that. They thought sheltering me, protecting me was the best way, and it wasn't because it broke me. I remember crying. I remember thinking I was going to miss my friends, and I remember just not being able to process it. Now, I was super crafty, wily kid at 12 years old is when this happens. I was 12 years old and i mean i knew how to sneak in and out of places at that point in time i was already staying up late at night uh hiding books in my bed and reading or playing with my toys or yeah i was thinking about where i was in life uh, uh so that's what i was doing then but i was still able i could hear i knew every sound of the house i knew when somebody was walking down the hallway and i knew roughly if it's an adult or what the deal was who it was walking down the hallway. I could learn their steps. I mean, I had really good producing ears, even at 12 years old and younger. So I, I don't know why, but I was always crafty. I was always how to get my own life, how to get my own world, and I was already doing that then. So as we went back in, this was, they took us to Florida right before the vote, and then we had to go back for a little bit of time, but we, I don't believe we ever went back to the church except for the one time. Because there's already you know, common knowledge, right? Gossip. It was already just the f- fingers of cancer throughout this whole thing of people talking about it and this and that and the other. I don't remember the meantime for being told and actually happening. So it probably was pretty short. But what I do remember is my parents said, okay, this Sunday, and perhaps it was the Sunday after we got back. I don't know. No, it couldn't have been because we immediately turned around and left again to go away for a little bit so we went back to my grandparents uh for a little bit after the vote literally that day um so i I, anyway not matter here's the point that particular sunday when the church was going to come to a vote there was a whole service and and there was no children's church for my age at 12 and my sister was was at nine ish nine or ten depending on what time of year this was and so uh we were told to get up and leave so that we weren't exposed to it or whatever. And my dad, uh, my mom, I think, I don't remember if she got left, but my dad, of course, had to give a speech about it and, and be there for it. And the the music minister had already been forced out. Well, I knew how to sneak around that church, and I knew every nursery room had speakers in it so the workers could get the message, all those bullshit fucking Southern Baptist up-your-ass message. But anyway... They had that ability. So I knew to go and find a nursery room that wasn't being used, and that's exactly what I did. I went to an abandoned nursery room, and I turned on the speaker, and I sat there, and I listened to uh, them set up the vote and to the speech that my dad gave. And what I remember about that speech was that – of course, my parents had no idea I was doing this. But I was like, fuck you. I'm not being hidden from this shit. And he talked about being in Vietnam – And serving as a medic in Vietnam, being on tour in the jungle, and how this in Camilla—that time he spent in Camilla was worse, and and I don't remember all the other details, but I remember just this anger brewing at this point, and just just, and probably already been, but it's just boiling, and I'm probably angry at my parents a little bit for trying to hide all this from me, because that's not how you do it. That's not how you kill a monster. You don't kill the fear of the unknown by hiding from the unknown. You make it known. And that's one of the things I learned here. I remember sometime in that period I had a lot of G.I. Joes. I was always good with my my imagination and making up stories. And I mean, I, I could spend hours really making up a story in my head and carrying them out through the story and having end results and, and having it develop as we go. And, and that's part of my creative process now is how things work like that, how visual I mean, we call it visualization now, right? We call it storyboarding. We call it all these creative things. Then I was just playing with toys. But I, I had these, I chose the only way, God damn it, man, I got no help during that time. And the only way, I, I could even vent it a little bit. Well, I mean, something broke in me, and I became this raging beast at 12. And I took these GI Joes, and I had a deacons meeting because that's where at first, that's where it really came out was they kept giving a shit, kept giving a shit, and finally they said, okay, we're we're going to force it. He said, "You got we're not hiding this. You're not going to get me to resign and have this go away. No, the church has to see the bullshit that you're pulling, although I'm sure he didn't say bullshit. And so I had a Deacons' meeting <laughs> with my GI Joes. and I can't remember if they're all bad guys or not because I was very fluid in uh, not in gender swapping, but in, in in motivation swapping. you know, just because Cobra Commander is a bad guy doesn't mean I'm playing him as a bad guy in the story. He might be the hero of this story because his mask looks cooler than this other guys'. So I don't know who was around there but I, I had a Deacon's meeting, and I had GI Joe's come in. And basically beat the ever-living shit out of everybody. They might have killed them. I don't remember. I never killed before in my stories. Uh, I grew up literally watching G.I. Joe. I mean, that time period was my childhood. Transformers, G.I. Joe, all that stuff that Hasbro did uh, to market their toys. Teenage Ninja Turtles, which might not be Hasbro, but that was the time. And if you watch any of the classic G.I. Joe cartoons nobody ever really gets hit unless it pushes the story forward. And even then, it's just an injury that's easily recoverable from, you know. Oh, I got shot. Oh, I can't walk. My my leg hurts. You know, those kind of things. And they'd always arrest all the bad guys at the end. And if you really watch the animation, the lasers never go anywhere. They just kind of disappear. That's how I was taught to play. But I, I went to this one. And those Joes, man, they... they they weren't Joe's, they were me, obviously. And I mean they I did. I I pounded them. Any violence I could think of. I did I did to him. Of course I'm a kid with WWE background, uh, it was WWF at the time. And WCW. So that was the, the extent of my violence, but that was the violence that I did to him. I never told anybody that. I don't I'm not sure if I've shared that story as an adult since then, uh, since I've grown up, but definitely then didn't tell anybody. I needed help. But this this broke me, and I was definitely just full of rage. But the thing was, I was in denial. I had no idea. You flash forward to another major, major story where we finally found another church. We are living in another house. We had been there for a while. I had a Nintendo. I got a Nintendo throughout this process, Uh, and I had Legend of Zelda. And I was like, I can't remember if it was Legend of Zelda or if it was the second one, uh, Link Link to the Past, I think is what it's called. Uh, but I had beaten, I think it was the second one because I'd beaten the first one, and I was almost beating the second one. But I'm always this generous guy, and this this all I remember about this girl, her name was Kay, K A Y. Her name was Kay. She was overweight. She was pasty as shit. She looked like a ghoul um, a lot of times as she was from a rich family and that's what i remember about her And she was spoiled and rotten and my parents never taught me practicality and that's something i have been trying to teach my kids It's practicality of going people will tell you who they are if you don't like somebody you don't have to be nice to them you never ever have to give anything of your stuff away ever i don't care about this whole sharing now i've taught my kids to play nice and share and if you want people to play with you You give, you know, you share. You open yourself up to letting them play, but you also protect yourself. And that's something my son keeps having to be reminded of at school. Is Okay, a little quick story. So (laughs) my son is in sixth grade at public school, and this kid who sits in front of him, nobody's really a bad seed at this point in his school. It's not like, oh, you know, that kid's a gang member and you should know better. It's not like that. Our area is fairly tame for... Trouble. Now in high school and stuff like that, it definitely gets into that area, but not in middle school. And this kid turns around and he goes, Hey, Oakland, hold this. And it was a phone. And that dumb little shit went, okay. And he did it. And he knew it wasn't his phone. He knew it wasn't the kids' phone. He actually knew whose kids who phone he knew who owned it. And the kid actually sat next to him. He knew who owned it. And instead of putting it on another kid's desk, whatever, he held it. Probably to feel fucking cool. Well, what happened was a te- the kid was freaking out, couldn't find his phone because he lost it. These kids thought it was funny to take it and hide it from him. But they are doing high school style classes. So instead of going in and having one classroom he's in all day, or even two, he's doing that high school bullshit, and it is bullshit, honestly, of, hey, at this period you have this class, in this period you have this class, in this period you have this other class, and you have five different fucking teachers, and you have to go from room to room. And in the previous period, he wasn't in the class with that kid, and this other jackass was. And the other jackass essentially stole the phone. Not maliciously, like, oh, I'm going to steal it and take it home, and criminal-wise— but maliciously in the, ha this will be funny because, you know, I like torturing people way. Well, of course, the teacher in the previous class called the phone and it rang on my son's desk and the new teacher, or in the classroom that they're in, the teacher was like, what is that? Well, it's not, it's someone else's phone. So we get a phone call and then you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm digressing too much. Basically, he got detention. He got written up for theft because we made sure that happened because she was like, oh, no, the boys were just playing like, no, 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 this dumb little fucker needs to learn if some jackass motherfucker who does not care about you says, hold this, you put your hands up and go, oh, fuck no. Hell no. Because as, sure, as soon as that phone rang, that kid didn't say, oh, no, I took it. It was just a joke. Nothing. And my son didn't say, so-and-so gave it to me, just, oh, <laughs> I'm like, and honestly, it doesn't help that he's one of the only white kids at the school. I mean, there's a percentage, but he's in the minority at the school. And he doesn't know what to do, I guess. I don't know. I don't care about It's not about race, but sometimes these teachers make it about race. So anyway, he got in trouble. But I taught him through all this. You, you never do. I was very plain English with him. Teaching him how to protect himself. So back to this memory of Zelda. This fat fucking rich bitch wanted to borrow my game, and I was all about having people just like him today. I want you to have great experiences. So I agreed to lend it. I said, "There's three spots, and this isn't. They have cartridges on the on Nintendo Entertainment System, and you could have up to three spots saved on this particular game. Mine was the first one. There's two these spots. I said." just leave my game alone save it one of the two other spots well she has it for longer than she's supposed to or whatever and i finally said i want my game back and she gave it back and my parents never told me how to handle confrontation either they so i'm having this rage shit go on in me i'm having this broken shit go on in me never got counseling for it until i was older and it came out and other stuff but i was also never taught to here's how you deal with people hey Value. You're valuable. What you own, you place value on, it's yours. You go, hey, you need to give me my game and I'd like it back, you know, in two weeks. And at the end of two weeks going, hey, can I have my game back? Oh yeah, I forgot it. Nope. My parents are gonna come over and they're gonna bring me over to your house and go pick it up. Pleasant, easy, no worries. Nope. My parents didn't help me out at all. They didn't teach me any of that shit. And I just get angry and angry that she's got my game. Finally I get it back. I go to plug it in. I go to fire up my game. And and the other two spots literally have save games now. So she didn't just use one. She felt, she erased my game. It's a short version. She fucking erased my game, and I just saw red. I wanted to murder somebody, and I remember just screaming just out of my mind, angry, freaked my mom out, went and just punched the shit out of a closet door, and it's a sliding closet door, so I knocked it off the rails. You know, so I'm like hulking out here, and. My mom's yelling at me and i in my mind I'm just justified. I almost bit my tongue. God damn it. So I I'm right and my mom started to calm me down, tell basically telling me I'm wrong, which wasn't what I needed at the time. Because what she was seeing is the results of the rage and how I handled it was was destructive. Did I get help? Hell no, I didn't get help. But I mean I I that is the first time I can remember clearly raging out. And it wasn't totally irrational, but the reaction was as if um, they had tried to kill my puppy or something. You know, they erased the game. She Basically, she violated – what she did was she violated the same things those deacons violated. Here are my boundaries. Here's my life. You just basically raped my soul because you ignored my wishes. Now, am I being extreme about a game? Maybe, but I was also 13, 14 at the time, and I'm a rage monster, and I am raw. So the second you get past those barriers, everything is an explosion. I don't think I ever saw her again, to be honest. I think my parents told her parents that they better get the fuck out of the church and leave me alone. (laughs) I don't know what they told them, but it wasn't like they were huge churchgoers anyway, and I I don't remember ever seeing her again after that point. But it was, it was, dude. It was massively ugly. So there were definitely points throughout those years that I felt in control. And as a teenager, it does. I'm not ever going to blame it on hormones, but I know that probably plays a factor a little bit into it. But literally, it was this shit that I could have gotten counseling for, gotten help for. The fights I had with my parents, the the distance I had. I ran a gang at that church. Not like a street gang, you know. We're kept people and shit. But by all means, everybody followed me. And if you get out of line, I threatened to put you back in line physically. And I was bigger than everybody else, and I was meaner than everybody else because I, when I moved from Camilla where I'd been bullied, I said I will never be bullied again. Well, you know what that does? That swings a pendulum from being the victim to being the aggressor. And I was very much a bully that time. I mean, I went up against adults. I'd eye I eye. fuck him. I didn't care. I mean I I I was that guy who had nothing to lose. I had at that point in my life lost everything. Lost my religion because Jesus loves, but his fucking house sure as fuck didn't. They put us on the street. i lost my faith in humanity. Same story. I lost any connection to my parents because I felt like I was hidden from everything, like I was shut out. I felt alone. I had nothing to lose at this place in life and i proved it over and over again and it worried my parents and i and i have to guess that maybe they chalked it up to teenage stuff i i don't know i know i never really got help and talked to during this time i thought and this at, at this is you getting up 16 17 years old at this point i i had a phrase i have a very long fuse but once it gets past a certain point, then it's on. You're my enemy, and I, I'll take you down. And I was very good at hurting people, verbally, emotionally. Uh, not, I never really had to physically. I've never really been in a true fist fight. Uh, I was close once or twice. Um, the second time was, if you don't back the fuck down, I will kill you. And I meant it, and they could see it in my eyes, and they knew I meant it, and they backed the fuck down. Very quickly, there's twice I told somebody I'd kill them in my life, and I meant it. Uh, fortunately for me, the universe got my back, and I never made that mistake. Both times would have been a gross overreaction, but it would have been this explosion from the rage, and that's where I and I thought I was justified. That's see, that's the problem with people who aren't angry, who or maybe are and they're afraid of it, or you know, oh, you need anger management, or oh, it's just why are you acting so crazy. Because I'm crazy, because I have this thing that's broken inside of me that is irrational, but it tells you not in a voice and kind of my head kind of way, but your mind, you're a human being and you do everything you can to make yourself feel normal. So the fact that you're carrying this thing that you know you can sense that other people aren't carrying, yes, since there's something wrong with you and you're alone, you make that okay so you find reasons to make it okay. Well, in this particular fist fight, literally, here's the story. I'll just jump forward to that. So I had bought a brand-new truck. Well, brand-new to me is a used for Ford F-150, and I was proud of it. And I took it down. My buddy was having a, a party. I think it's like a Fourth of July party or something. He had some buddies over a Douglas. My friend Douglas was doing that, and he had some people from school over. And, of course, he invited me, and I drove all the way down. He has a pond on his property, you know, a couple acres back from his house. And and I drove all the way down to the pond. And I parked. And a pristine, new, it looks brand new truck. Obviously, I'm very proud of it. And I get out of my truck and I'm coming around the back of it. I see this mud ball flying through the air. Hits my truck. Has a rock in it. Scratches my truck. Brand fucking new truck. And on. An instant. Going to kill you. And I went in and this guy's in the water. He's kind of hiding in the water and he's being a fucking turd douchebag and i don't know what possessed him to do that shit but it was on after that i mean i was rage was there and i was chris you asked how I control it i justified not beating his ass by listening to some people who were saying calm down it's all right you know i was like you're you're my enemy you're dead to me fuck you later on in that day here's the thing there's no such thing as control and you never can control rage. It controls you at best. It it drives you. It pushes you to do things. And I, I mean, it was just simmering. And I was looking for ways. And we ended up playing football, of course. And he was on the other side of it. And uh, I don't remember exactly what happened, but... And something exploded again, and we faced off, and that was when I eyeballed him. And my sister's a dumbass; she was there with me, and she was, yeah, oh, don't do this. Oh, I finally went, "You shut the fuck up! You man the fuck up, or you get your pussy ass out of here because I'm about to kill this motherfucker." And I looked back at him. And I said, "You cross that line right now, you don't get your ass in that truck, and you go home or car or whatever you had. If you don't get the fuck out of here right now." I will break your fucking neck. And then your little friend who jumps in, I will snap his fucking neck too. And I just stared them down, begging them to come at me. And they very quickly realized how serious I was. I got their fucking ass in the car and they left. There's no controlling that. It was It was a situation that could have gone very, very badly, very, very quickly. So as I grew up and... Was with people. I mean, I can't. I don't even know how many people I damaged. The only person really, really, truly stuck through all the hell that I went through and all that rage that I had was Douglas. And I still don't know all his stories from his side of it. Uh, But I had different. But that was what I said. You know what? The thing was, I wasn't always angry. I mean, I was always angry. I mean, I was a Hulk. I mean, that's when he said that lie I was like, oh my god. No shit. My, uh, what's your secret to the Hulk? Because I'm always angry. You, you can't just set me off. It, there's a. Uh, that's true. That line from the end of the Avengers, where Mark Ruffalo is being called on to become the Hulk, and he's starting to go Hulk out, and they ask him, how. basically, how do you do it? And he turns around and he says, that's my secret. I'm always angry. That is how you manage rage is you're always there. You'll learn to live with levels of it, and it will bubble up. It will boil over. You will do stupid shit out of it. But my my saying was, you know, a really long fuse, I could put up with a lot of stuff, but wasn't crossing the line. Well, that wasn't true. It was a really short fuse, and I was really, really angry all the time. And I finally met the woman who was going to become my wife. And she, people who you truly love will, because I think the universe, God, whatever you want to put in there. I think it is people are put in your life to help you become whole, to help healing happen, to to help growth happen. And even through all of this, I focused on who I wanted to be in life and what I wanted to do. And the only true prayer I ever prayed, to be honest with you, was, you know, I was back in a church at one point, uh, college years, I guess. And still religious, still you know, I'd been making my own way through the world, had been figuring out my own what I believed and didn't believe, and but I still was still following the basic Baptist line of of church, and maybe finding a little more, and maybe finding a little more progressive churches, a little more open churches, but I was still finding mostly the same. And I remember uh, being taught a lesson while I was there, I was working with a youth group as a college student, and the. The adult there was like, uh, "You get basically you get what you ask for, and that's something that I've always been taught: asking, you shall receive." And I remember opening up my soul at that point to God, uh, who now you know, yeah, God exists. I think, I think you're, you, know, you, I use the terms just influence. Uh, uh, fuck, I don't have the right word here. Basically, for me, universe, God, same thing, same thing. Bigger power than me that has. An idea that can help me get to where I'm going you like to paint a picture of God we'll have a talk all day we'll find that once we boil down the words we're talking about the same thing you want to have a talk about me with science and the universe same thing everything connects to everything else and I was always taught asking you shall receive and something clicked there and I opened up the secret This is what I said. These were my words that I 100% felt for the first time in my life was something I had not experienced, but I wanted. I was praying to God, and I said, God, I want everything you have for me, everything. Because churches, and that's, again, churches are people who just buy into religion. There are people who have faith who can discuss things with Muslims, and maybe they're not Muslim. They can discuss things with atheists, and they're not atheists. But they understand we're connected and this and that and the other there's faith and then there's religion so when i say churchies it's religion people churches loved about all these riches in heaven and god has this stuff and my mom even taught, gave me the imagery and taught me of oh god has all this stuff he wants to give you and but you only ask for a dollar and i remember as a kid oh my god this is probably the mind. i never remember as a child asking about prayer and God and this and that and the other life and my mom painted this picture it was like okay it's like this God has all this money he has bicycles and toys and everything you could ever want but all you ask him for is a dollar and he gives you a dollar the reason I'm so emotional about that is she doesn't believe that because if you believe that you're gonna pray what I prayed and you take the good with the bad what I prayed, the secret, the, the universe unlocking key, the thing that I said, I opened up who I was, my soul. I have felt this for the first time. I said, I want everything that you have for me. Everything. And I understand that's bad shit. I understand that shit that's gonna to make me different. But I understand there's a lot of goddamn good shit in there. I I'm picturing the mountains of gold and the the influence and the power and sometime around 14 years old, I had the revelation in my life that I was destined for greatness. Didn't know what that means. We'll do that show at some point. You can ask me, what do you think destined for greatness meant? And what was that moment and how did it work for you? Because I remember it all. As 13, 14 years old, is after we got kicked out, I was in this new place and I just had that clarity moment of going, I'm destined for greatness. So I was sitting here at 19 18 19 years old 20 having this moment again of okay fuck it i'm dumping all religion dumping all whatever no i want it all so and that's see that's the thing when i talk about being focused on who i wanted to be i always had that destined for greatness moment and i had i want it all moment not greed of going i i need to get through what i'm getting through to become who i am to get to this great life that I know is is coming for me, that I know is out there. And not in the way of, Jesus has a plan for me. It'll get here one day. No, I'm fucking aggressively going after it. So I meet the woman that's going to become my wife. And what I'm saying is, is God, the universe, God, whatever puts people in your lives to, to do that. God, the person you love will hit your buttons like nobody's business. And I talked about the fights that she and I had and I've talked about this too, but there's this moment that has to be told in this story that even though I've told it, I won't go into huge detail. But we're driving in a car back to our house one day and we're having this fight. And I think it was about the bands I was trying to build and the weird fuckers that I was just selling myself to. I would take anybody if I thought it'd help me get this music going because I was so desperate to get this creative channel going and to get this message going. Because I thought it, I guess ultimately deep down I thought it would fix me. And my wife who loved me was trying to protect me from some of the weird shit and stupid people and bad juju she saw coming my way. Well, I'm sorry, baby. You can't because I asked for everything. I asked for everything. That means I have to go through the weird bad juju bullshit that I attracted to myself to learn my lessons. But thank you for trying. Was what I should have said. What I actually said was, we got in this big fight. And I told her she was stealing my joy and going back and forth on this and that. And right after that, she said, "She said, uh, gosh, she said something about me being angry." And I said, "I'm not an angry person." And I did that whole fuse thing, and she just laughed in my face. She goes, Sh- "Okay, you're a fucking angry person. You're always angry. You're always yelling about stuff." And here's the thing: we had just gone through this before that. I would have hypothetical situations where if this person does this, then da-da-da. It was always a hypothetical. That may or may not have been a rational possibility. But I would rage on this imaginary thing that more than likely would never happen. But I would literally rage. It would just boil. And she was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You just made up a scenario that is your imagination and now you're literally ready to kill somebody and you're screaming at me like I'm not screaming at you I'm screaming at this person she's I'm the only fucker sitting here that was a wake up call in in my justification I'm yelling and screaming to the person I'm telling the story to cuz I'm screaming at really at myself but that's either here or there right second but I'm screaming at the person in my imagination and in my story but the literal person in front of me is the person I love more than anything in my life. And she is the one who is feeling all the rage, all the negative energy, all the loud screaming in a tight place is usually in the car. And I I, I was assaulting her. For, you know, she was getting it as a proxy. So when she laughed and said, you know, at me when I said I was an angry person, I was like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I was I'm like, fuck, you don't know shit. And later on, within a day or two, I called my best friend. And like, my wife is such a dumb fuck. She says I'm an angry person and she's so stupid, right? And Douglas, who is still my best friend, he just kind of went, and you think you're not? And like, what? You're not supposed to take her. What the fuck, man? And he's like, and he's, see, here's the thing about Douglas. I've talked, I've joked about, he puts the pathetic and apathy, <laughs> but sometimes he puts the strength in and apathy, and apathy generally means you have no dog in the fight. There's no reason to get emotionally tied to it. So he can be unemotional, which is what I needed to get help. And so she's emotional. She laughed in my face. It was a very aggressive move. We had a fight about it. He just, he had no emotional tie to it. He knew I was angry. He accepted that about me. He knew how to deal with it, how to protect himself. So when I brought it up, he just flat out goes, and you think that you're not an angry person? And I was like, well, shit. I mean, that was a punch in the face. So that's how I started to get help. Now, let me come to my the end of his question where he talks about how do you deal with it? How do you control it? Well, first off, how you deal with it is figuring out why it's there. I talked about this on a previous show, the three steps. What's your earliest memory? Especially when you're raging, when you're angry, if you can get yourself to do it, do it. So, or when you calm down right after, honestly, it's when you calm down right after. Can you still feel the effects of the rage? But you ask yourself, what is my earliest memory? Basically, why am I fucking angry? But what is my earliest memory? Then you ask yourself, "What is that? how do I feel right now? And what am I feeling? And I'll try to dig down deep, not just the surface. I'm angry, but I'm I'm, I'm feeling lost. I'm upset. I feel like less of a person. You really, really push yourself. And again, you email me. I can try to help you out with a little bit of it. Find a counselor you know, somebody to help you out with it. Uh, Directly to Chris, you know, your wife can definitely help you with this kind of thing. I can help you with this kind of thing. Uh, but it definitely at some point becomes a really great relationship building process. If you can get your partner in life to help you with this thing with Chris, he has a wife, but with the general audience, it could be your husband. It can be whatever you want. If you're not married, but you have a life partner because you have chosen not to get married, whatever, whoever the person is that, that you trust the most, that you should trust the most. Because see, I didn't trust my wife in my marriage for the first couple of years. I kept going to my best friend because he had been through hell. Well, what I failed to realize and failed to see was my wife was going through hell with me and was not leaving. And she got way worse than he ever got because she was the closest and because she loved me because she held on for her fucking life. So I say the person that that you've committed yourself to, that you love. And if it's not your wife, then you need to fucking figure that shit out. It's not your husband, whatever. That's a whole nother show. Ask yourself, what's my earliest memory? Right. The second as I'm feeling this stuff. Well, I mean, detail it, walk it through. What do I remember? What's going on? What is it? What does it tell me about my, how do I feel right now? Then the third thing is, what does it tell me about myself as an adult? And I did that over and over and over again to go through the process of really digging out the rage. Taking out... See, here's the thing with fire. It has to have a fuel. It has to have coals or a core or something. Mine was fucking molten lava, man. It was bad. But I started taking out the things that were fueling that fire, and it cooled off. Now there's still some things in me. So this gets to how do you channel it how do you control it how do you fuck up and i do i fucked up last night uh actually with chris actually not at him but uh we chris and i had a conversation planned with a show that we're trying to get onto the Giant team up network and i'm sitting down it had been a long day stuff was going on i'm already mad i'm literally honestly already mad because stuff is going on with my wife's family that fucked up my night and I don't mean it, because I know my wife will hopefully listen to these one day. We, she, we, she and I have conversations. It's not that the family did something and I'm mad at them, and it was a health issue thing, so it's uncontrollable, more or less. So I'm not mad at her, but I am disappointed. I'm angry because I'm an angry person. Still, I still carry anger in me. Not all of it's gone, but I'm angry because I'd worked hard to finally get to a point in life for something to go on that I wanted to happen, and then now all that, I mean, just hard left because of of this thing that happened with her family, this health thing. And I know that now I, I lost her, not permanently, but now she's going to deal with that for however long it's going to be. And I, I am left alone, and I fucking hate that. I hate being left alone. I hate losing my wife to anybody else for any reason. That's just the truth. Now, I've learned to deal with it, and I I absolutely told her, I got your back, babe, whatever you need. She knows I was a little upset, but she goes, don't be mad at me. I said, I'm not, honestly, and she knows. Even though the word not was in here because it it was just a slip of the tongue, she knows the truth is I hold no anger to her. I said, I'm not mad at you. and I I wasn't, but I am mad. I am angry because I lost. That's a stupid way to see it. That's something maybe I can still deal with, but that was the moment. So I already have that going on. And then the second I sit down to connect with Chris for this phone call, my son comes down and tells me my youngest daughter is throwing up. I honestly don't know what it is. I was a paramedic for 10 years, 12 years, somewhere in there. And I've never had an issue with it before, honestly. Doesn't gross me out, but I hate when people throw up. I hate it. It pisses me off. Maybe I hate when I throw up. Maybe there's some message. Obviously, what's my earliest memory? Right now, I don't have time to go into it. I don't know. But... It, it triggers an anger in me. It hits that hot spot. And so I, it's the mess. It's the nastiness of cleaning up something else from somebody else. I, I don't know what it is. But my daughter's sitting there, and the other kids are trying to tell her, get out of the bed, go to the bathroom, because that's something I've taught them. And I drilled them when they were little, and now apparently I have to drill Zoe, who's who's four, on this. But when they got sick and they threw up, I'd have them go, okay, after everything's cleaned up and like the next day. So I haven't done it with Zoe yet, but today's the next day. So I'll probably do it today. It's okay. Go lay in your bed. All right. You feel sick. You're going to throw it. What do you do? And I, I drill them, like run running drills of them jumping out of their bed, running to the toilet and bleh, fake puking. And I do that a number of times for a couple of days. So, okay, if you feel sick, and then, you know, i let it go after a while. But then if they start to get sick, like with a fever or something later on in life, I'll say, okay, you remember, what are you going to do? If you feel your stomach hurts, what are you going to And they go, oh, I get up and run to the bathroom. And I make it a game, and I make, try to make that fun for them. But here's where I messed up. So she won't get out of the bed. The, and she's just sitting there in puke, crying, pukes everywhere. And they're trying to get her to go to the bathroom, and she won't even move. Now I get Here's the part I messed up. Mentally, I get, you're four, you woke up sick, this is scary, all of a sudden this stuff's going on. It's not the very first time she's thrown up, but it's still new-ish to her, whatever. And from the hallway, I start drill sergeant screaming, get the fuck out of the bed. And I I don't even have the energy to do it to you now, but I'm telling you, it's, (laughs) I mean, it's that, but louder. And harder and i like, get out of the bed get out of the bed get out of, the-. and i just and she's just crying and I'm, i get down there and I'm like get the fuck out of the bed get in the bathroom and finally she gets up because i'm not gonna touch her i she's covered in vomit and these are the, the mistakes that i'm making and I, i'll tell you what i want out of this but you asked for let's say that this is the most newest one As she got to the bathroom, she's crying, and her eyes are red from crying and from throwing up. And I said, you sit here in the bathroom. If you're going to be sick, throw up in the toilet. And I'm angry. I'm not raging, but I'm definitely angry, and there's this harsh anger that is there now. I I think what I would call rage is mostly gone. The fuel for that is gone, but there's a harsh anger that is there. And so I'm like trying to clean up her room. I mean, it is fucking everywhere. It's on this mattress that's on the floor that should have been put away a while back. But now we gotta figure out how to clean that mattress. It's on her pillow. That's the only pillow she wants to sleep with. It's on her blanket. It's on her bed. It's on the mattress protector underneath her sheet. It's it's on the fucking floor. Oh my God. It's goddamn everywhere. So I get Crosby to help me out, and she's starting to strip the sheet. And I'm trying to manage everything. I text Aaron, who's next, you know, over at her family's house, like Zoys just threw up everywhere. And Erin knows how I am about that. And so she goes, and again, I'm not grossed out. I can clean it up. I'm just pissed. And I don't know why. This what I would love to have done. And, oh, baby, come on, come on, come on. Get out of the bed. Oh, I know, baby. And even, I can sacrifice myself. I literally have no problems having puke on me. It's happened. Pl- I've been a fucking paramedic. So I could have picked her up and held her and taken her to the bathroom. Changed my shirt. But what I did was I yelled and screamed and did the drill sergeant thing and fucking get out. And and maybe maybe the good side, cause I always try to find the good side, maybe it does drill in the importance of get the fuck into the bathroom. But there could have been a better way to handle it. I even tell her as I'm calming down but still trying to manage this stuff, going, baby, I will definitely give you hugs and kisses in a minute. I will definitely come you down. I know it's a rough thing. But I'm not saying it in this kind voice, I think. I, th- I think I'm saying, I know it's a rough thing. I know that I'll give you hugs and kisses, and I'm sorry that you threw up, but you got to understand you have to be in the bathroom. I'm sure that's not helping her. I'm sure I'm scarring her for life with that shit. And I will apologize, and I will play these shows back to her as she gets older and can understand them. Not that it's an excuse. Never an excuse. But uh, hopefully you can understand what I was working through and that I'm sorry, what I wish I could have done. And then I did calm down, and I mean, she cal- and I got her in the shower, and I cleaned her up, and I redressed her. Once she's redressed, and my wife was there helping clean up the vomit mess, and everything's better. I pick her up and I hold her. And I do tell her I'm sorry I yelled. Does it change the damage it did? Fuck no, it doesn't. God, man, that that's where I always w- w- could, that is the great unknown for me. That's where I'm always questioning how much damage did I just do. Did I, did I inflict anything good or did I just inflict bad? And I still use the word inflict because it's still painful. Whether it's good or not, I inflicted it. But how I control it is in the calm times. I really, really, or no, no, no. Let me change my wording, Chris. How I affect it, how I offset it, how I try to change it without knowing the source of it still yet is I take the opportunities with my wife with my kids to find private times to talk to them about things in life that if they were to happen would make me angry you know after i i tr- i really tried hard to control my rage or my anger or whatever yeah for fun rage when my son had that here hold this moment i end up screaming out of out of my mind at him about that because i immediately take it to you're 16 and you're you're holding a hot gun and now you're going to jail 18 20 you know you name it you you wanted to be cool you wanted to be liked we all want to be liked and at this age i have to be gentle on how i teach them about that because we all want to be liked we have to understand we are ourselves we love ourselves first and just because somebody who's trying you trying to be cool to you or whatever and there's this no, uh, uh, done so even as I'm screaming at him, I calm down and I take a moment because I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do, how am i going to punish him. But we'd already had this conversation. He had had something similar happen before where a guy who's still a friend of his had made a mistake. I, I, it's a long story, but basically he'd been going through here, hold this once before, and I really beat into him, verbally beat into him. No, that is the wrong thing. So this happened a second time. I'm like, buddy, i got to make this hurt. And I kept giving him opportunities to make his case. And in my mind. I had calmed down. And I got a belt. Because I I hate hitting my kids. But at this point I'm like. I believe this has to hurt. You have to understand there's consequences. And since I don't have a kid jail to put you in. And since we know. Sometimes police officers will lose their shit. And they'll beat the shit out of you. Sometimes you'll get put in jail. And jail, uh, a bad guy will beat the shit out of you. I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to discipline you with this belt. But in my mind I'm saying. Say anything, and I'll cut it down. Say, any, And I'm trying to teach him about the courts and saying you're going to go through consequences. You're going to go to a judge who will ask you the same question I asked you. Did you have it? Yes. Then you, owned, you had stolen property when you were caught. That's the bottom line. It doesn't matter you didn't take it. It matters in the eyes of the law that you fucking have it, and you could be telling. I know the story. I believed him fully. It made sense how it went down. But I know that it doesn't always matter in life. It's the choices you make. So I gave him, even in this moment when I'm angry, I'm, I'm coming down because I, instead of fighting the anger, I really said, I love him. What's the best way I can express love and teach him here? And I'm grabbing at the love and grabbing at my ultimate desire is to, I want the ultimate result to be you learn from this And you go, okay, I'm worthwhile. You're not. I'm not fucking talking to you, asshole. And I told him, you don't talk to that dickhead anymore, ever. That motherfucker doesn't like you. He fucking threw you under the bus, thought it was funny, and then didn't say a goddamn thing when you got in trouble. I didn't know, honestly, just a a real specific side note, I didn't know what to do about telling. Because I wanted him to say, fuck that bastard. He gave it to me. But at the same time, I value privacy. I value not ratting people out, you know, and there can be something when you go around being a talented, oh, I saw John over there do this. Did you do that? And there's a gang involved when you're older, you'll fucking get hurt or killed. There's, there's time. I, there's a fine balance. I'm trying to teach my kids about key to yourself and want to know what the right thing is to do. That being aside, what I did in this situation, and this was weeks ago, a couple months ago at best that this happened. And I mean, I had rage. I was bringing myself down. I walked away. I told him, don't move. You don't leave. And I walked to the back of the house. I'm thinking, what do I want out of this? What I want is for him to truly fucking learn the lesson to only trust people who have earned your trust. And no matter what, if somebody says, it doesn't matter if it's me or your mom. If somebody says, here, hold this. You need to know the why and make some rational thought. If something doesn't feel right. I mean, literally, and I'm telling you, as I'm talking to Chris and Mike and everybody else who's listening, I'm putting my hands up in the air. Literally, put your hands up in the air, and then you don't take it. And so as I did that, I tried to convey this to him, and he is – so I just – I wanted what I wanted from him, so I'm coming down. And so even as I had the belt in my hand, I'm asking him any last words, anything you want to say. God damn, man, if he had just said he was sorry, he wouldn't have gotten hit. If he had just said anything along the lines of, I wish I'd done something different, or just any words that convey your understanding anything about what was going on here, it would have it would have commuted his sentence instantly. And that's something I know will work in the court systems. I know you can, you know, put yourself at the mercy of the courts. I know you can express remorse and you will still have consequences. And he would have consequences, it wouldn't have been a beating. And I told him that after. And I hit him twice, just so you know, on the butt, with a belt. So if you want to call DFACs, good luck. This is Georgia. I've already been through that. I've had DFACs at my house, and I won. And I've, I mean, I said, nope, it's my religion. Now, I know when to play the religion card, but it's my religion and my faith. I mean, I believe I have my right to discipline my kids in a, a sane and healthy way, spanking them. On the butt every once in a while is a sane and healthy thing to do. That's how I was raised. That's how pretty much everybody in the south was raised. Go fuck yourself. So I hit him twice on the butt with the belt because I wanted him to feel it. And you know the last time I hit him because I don't. And that's he and I had that conversation later. It's like, dude, do you remember the last time I even hit you for any reason? And he couldn't think of it either. I said, like, yeah, it's something we never do. Unless it's extremely needed. This was an extreme circumstance. So the other thing I do to offset that, Chris, is take the calm times to really discuss it. And afterwards, without doing the whole, uh, you know, you did this thing, not guilt. I'm like, Okay, Oakland, I'm going to talk to you like you're an adult right now. I really want you just to talk to me, have a dialogue. And we talk about the situation. And did you learn? Yeah, here's what I learned from it. And even heading those things off, like with sex talks, my, kid, my oldest kids are, Eleven and ten now, I started having sex talks with them when they were six and seven, because I want them to understand the value of themselves. I want them to understand the addiction that is there. I mean, it's sex is good. It is good, and I want you to know that. And I want you to know why it's important to me. Why I think it's important that you only do it with one person, not because of religion, because that's what I was taught. But you know. I, it, We can have the sex talk. Again, I think I've alluded to this on other shows. You want the sex talk? Ask me about it. Rock out of podcasting. R-G-O-P at charlesmcfall.com. Rock out of podcasting.com. Speak pipe it. Facebook it. Whatever. I will answer that question. But I try to talk ahead of time with things. I try to come back after. I definitely apologize to them. And I say, look, I'm a human being and I'm sorry that I yelled at you this way. I'm sorry I said these things to you. I try to hug them and love on them as much as I can immediately afterwards because I understand the abuse factor of it. I know that if I emotionally punch you in the face and give you a black eye, coming back and going, and I'm just going to use the domestic abuse line. Oh, baby, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. That's bullshit because it's going to happen again. What I do is I say, okay, I wish I had done it this way. I wish, I, I do, I sit at night sometimes and think, I wish I was that TV dad, Mr. Miyagi type that could just go, all right, here's a passive lesson that will help you learn. Or hey, I can, Disney Channel shit, man. I wish that was true sometimes for me. I wish I could go, okay, so this is what's happened. Oh yeah, dad, you know what, you're right. I learned my lesson and I learned that this, this, and this happened and yeah, I do try that a lot when I get angry, I call names sometimes. And the only thing I've done to control that, the only thing I know to do is just to be honest about it, to accept it, number one. That's part of who I am right now. And two, to be honest with my kids about it going, I'm sorry. And I've been clear very, very, very much in life. I said, if I call you stupid, it's about the stupid decisions because you are smart. And I always tell them you're smart people. And I'll ask them when they're locking up and being stupid, are you a smart person? Yeah, I'm smart. What would a smart person do here? Because I'm touching on things that people are going to go, oh, my God. Because I go, oh, my God, in my life sometimes. How do I use it to motivate me? I get a very cold silence and strength to me. A very blue steel is the word that comes to mind, the phrase that comes to mind. Very silent strength when I can use it to motivate me. I get My brain fires up at twice the efficiency it seems like when this happens. You know, when I'm dealing with something outside of my house, that makes me angry. When I'm dealing with my wife, my wife gets more leniency than my kids, unfortunately, because she's an adult to make her own decisions. And I've learned to back off and try to help her. That I've honestly stopped trying to fix everybody. That was part of my anger. I'm trying to fix you, and you're not being fixed. Well, it's because I've fixed myself a lot. I've also found ways to, you know, sometimes subtly slip in things into the conversation that can be deep that can be success freaky that can be helpful uh sometimes it's not so subtle and it backfires um the for the first time ever my wife and I had a fight on my birthday this year actually and for the first not that one okay it was the first time ever we had a fight on my birthday but the first time ever part is that she was raging she was emotionally distraught she was angry and I was able to just let her essentially be bash on me not physically but just dump on me all this anger rage and I had to keep reminding myself she's not mad at me because honestly I was justified in why I was pissed off at her that day I was fully justified for the two things I was mad about but as as she's going getting unhinged and, and I remind she's she's dealing with a lot of stuff and I remind myself what she's dealing with outside of the house on different levels, what she's dealing with in her life. And, yeah, I got a little mad, but that's how I controlled it there. That's how I influenced it there, Chris, was I reminded myself instead of doing the human thing, which has happened plenty of times in the past, of she's saying things. She, and, of course, anytime, well, in my house when we fight, we fight. We, we don't pretend. We, we're pissed off when we go at each other to hurt each other. And that's why we try to talk about things and stop fighting. But the kids see that, and the kids see us make up from it. And the kids sit down with us and go, here's how we could have handled it better. So hopefully maybe they'll make different choices. They'll have different influences in their path. But we fight, and, and she's saying shit intentionally to piss me off. She's saying shit intentionally to get me to fight. Because when we're raging, we want to have that justification. Oh, if they're fighting back, I have the justification because obviously I was right. It's not a conscious thing. It's a subconscious thing. But I fought that, Chris. I reached for the love. I love my wife even though I was mad at her for things that happened that day and things that had been happening leading up to that day. I was mad at her, but I loved her. So what I did instead, I had a choice. When you're full of rage, you can't see the choice. You, you you're blinded by rage. Can't is the wrong word, can't not, blah, blah, blah. I know that. But you're blinded by the rage. You don't see, you refuse to see, you are unable to see that you can choose love. And that that is the thing that will fight rage every single time. And I had dealt with enough stuff in my life finally to this point. When she's raging, I'm going, she's stressed about this thing. She's stressed about that thing. She's upset. And I know I'm justified. And if I'm justified, I have zero need to be angry and fight back. And that happened. Now, there, there were moments where it's, it flared, right? There were definitely moments where I yelled at her about something and got right back in her face. Because I'm a human being. <laughs> uh, I definitely have those issues. But I, I found myself going, oh, you know, here's what she's saying. She's saying these irrational things because they're just snowballing. And I hear I can throw an irrational thought to derail that and calm it down. She was railing about podcasting at one point. And like, oh, you mean you mean like this check that just came in because of podcasting? Oh, you mean you mean that? You know, it, it wasn't sarcastic. It was like, oh, you mean like? And I gave a real life example that's happening right now that totally blew away her argument. But I could do it softly and gently, going, hey, 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 look at this, and it it helped a lot. Instead of me feeling raging. And so me, I still was like, no, I'm still mad at you for this. But I understand what's going on right now ain't that. And we had to leave it for the night because I had a late night gig. And yeah, I mean, I'm mad at her. And I didn't even text her through the night. Uh, She was mad at me. But then the next day, uh, she apologized some. And we talked about it. And that's how I'm using it now, how I control it. You said, you know, that's how I'm influencing it now. I'm, I'm dealing with my own issues, number one. Number two is I'm reaching for love and understanding that if I'm right, there's no need to fight. It gives me a strength and that anger helps me stand strong. But the third thing is how, when I do let it out, how, how do I use it for motivation? That's those moments of the EMS story I told where I get out of the truck. Now I still was full of rage then, but this was one of the first moments this happened. I get out of the ambulance. I have two physically smaller women with me. One's my partner, and one's a third writer, a student. And we get out to this potential uh, car wreck that turned it or as a car accident that turned into a potential suicide attempt. And well, it's too late. We're already here because if it's a suicide attempt, we're supposed to wait for the police. And it's too late. We're, we're first on scene. And this guy's on the porch and he's just pacing. And I'm like kind of looking at the car. and I noticed there's just something vibing wrong on this guy. And he's just like an animal, just pacing and smoking. And there's nobody in the car. And this guy all of a sudden comes off the porch and comes aggressively at us. And I mean, I immediately got that cold, hard steel that, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be good anger. You know, oh, yeah, you're, you're never going to win this one. I will win. It turns into determination and th- the filter goes off. All right, the violence filter goes off. Whereas in normal situations, especially on the ambulance, being a public safety official, you know, being part of protecting the community and, and helping with the health issues, there's always this filter of, okay, this guy's doing this, this, and this. There has to be a whole lot to justify me smacking the shit out of him. But when you come at me aggressively like that, when you're you're gonna start something with me and I see it coming. Nope, that filter's gone. All right, man. All you have to do is cross that line. I've already got the paperwork written in my head instantly of how this went down, and I'm going to trash you. And I don't mean, stay down, man. Stay down. No, no, no. I put you down. And that's how I use that anger, Chris, is I am I am honestly a very non violent person. I laugh at violence. It's a dark humor part to me that's there, but I rarely put my hands on my kids for discipline reasons and because i am afraid of my anger a little bit and afraid is probably not the right word but i am concerned i was like i know i have anger therefore i always want to be able to have my children and my wife and if need be law enforcement look back at what happened and go nope this was calm this was justified you had legitimate reasons this is what happened i want my kids to learn from their mistake instead of going oh my god my dad beat me because then they don't learn so I very rarely put my hands on my children except in love and in fun. I've never put my hands on my wife in anger. In fact, I broke my hand on a door to because I had boiled up so much in a fight that I just had to release physically. And I punched the door instead and broke the shit out of my hand because I refused to put my hands on her in anger. I won't hurt her intentionally. With my hands, apparently I'll fucking do it with my words and my emotions and shit back then. But anyway, so this guy comes up. And instantly, like, ha I've got the paperwork written. And, I mean, I'm deadlocked with him, just like that fight was a teenager. And he stops, like, two steps from it. He stops. Because I had an invisible line. He stopped just in front of it. So, he crosses that line. I don't care. He's in my personal space now. I don't even have to. I take a half step, and I kick his knee and blow it out. I'm gonna lock his knee out and destroy it, and then he's down. I'm gonna put my knee right dead center of his chest. Now he's keep in mind he's probably Chris Wisdom's size. He's an average, let's say five foot six, probably 180 pounds, skinny white guy, and I am easily 360, 350, 360 pounds, six foot seven at that point in life. I'm still six foot seven, but I'm, I've lost some weight, and I'm going to put my knee in his chest where it's hard to breathe. Because that's how I'm going to subdue this motherfucker. Because I'm not a police officer. I'm here to help. And at the time, at least, it was a crime to put your hands on me. And the fact that you came at us with no words, threatening us, we're already in a dangerous situation where it's possible suicide. I don't know what's going on. I will protect myself. I will fucking go to jail if I have to, to know that I will eventually go home in the morning to my family, alive and unharmed. That's the filter that gets gone when that anger is motivation. And so this guy stopped right before the invisible line. And I'm I mean, I'm ready. I'm poised. I'm ready to take him down in a heartbeat. And I just described how I was gonna do it. And I tell my my female partners, I said, get I'm eyeballing him. I'm looking at him dead and I never un- move away from him. I said, get in the truck. He goes, You can't tell me what to do. I was like, I'm not fucking talking to you. Get in the truck. And my partner's like, Yep. I mean, they were already on their way back to the truck and locking the doors. Because I I they knew I need to be able to kill this dude. I need to be able to not worry about anything else that's going to go on and take this guy down. And they disappear, and a minute, less than a minute later, fire truck shows up with a bunch of big firemen on it. And that's when the guy just kind of his whole demeanor changed. Because he's and it turns out he was on drugs and stuff later, but he's obviously in his mind thinking, I think I can take this big guy. He's a fat bastard. Whatever. No, you don't know me. I think inherently that his animal instincts told him that because like the second you flinch, the second you flinch, I got three ways that I'm going to break you down and make you wish you were dead. And I have no qualms. It's not going to be a slap in the face. You better stop. No, I will put you down. And that comes to my family, protecting them. That comes to everything. Because let me tell you something, everybody who's listening to Rock Out of Podcasting. I go home in the morning. And what that means is that was something I developed on the ambulance because I got off in the mornings. And my rule, number one rule was I will go home in the morning. I go to see my family alive and unharmed. So if that means uh, not going into a scene because it's unsafe, I don't go there. I don't care. I'm going to go home in the morning. If that means I have to ultimately kill somebody so I walk away alive, I will do that. When it comes to you threaten my family and I had somebody do that and I'll tell that story on another show. I had somebody threaten my family. That is the wrong thing. That's where that cold, hard anger comes in, and you you sense it. Every time that has come out, every time that I've had it happen, you sense it. I can feel it around me. People go, okay, this dude's serious, and what can I do to get out of the situation? And that's how I use it now. Uh, I use it like a scalpel. If I get angry with somebody, we're in an argument, I will start – picking apart your argument very quickly because i'm angry at you and i will make you feel stupid because you're stupid and in that situation if i'm stupid because if i'm in the wrong i mean that's what i've expressed on the rest of these shows if i'm in the wrong even if i'm mad uh because the first question i ask when i get mad why am i angry what is going on this is usually split second now it's in the case with this guy on the ambulance there was no question he came at me i was ready to take him down period that's where it instantly came in as a tool but in a situation where I'm mad, let's say, let's say Chris, I'm mad at you. I'll go. Why am I actually mad at Chris? Is he doing something bad? Is he not listening to me? Is he, fr-? you know, what in me is angry? Because on paper, let's say Chris, let's say uh, you make a, a, I don't know, man. I cannot think of something that you would do that make me mad. I can't even make it up. Let's say you steal money from the company. Okay, I, that's ridiculous. I, I can't come up with a scenario. But let's say you do something. To an extent that I'm mad at you. On paper, if you steal money from the company. No, 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 no. Here's something that is important to me. If you cheat on your wife, okay? That's your relationship. But I'm in your circle. You're a part of my company. You're a part of my friend's circle. You're a part of my life. I I hold that very seriously. Not that, don't you do it, but we'll have a story. Come on, people, ask me these questions. I've got a whole show built on cheating and why I actually thought it through and it won't happen and why it's important to me that people around me don't think it's okay, that you never think it's okay to cheat on your spouse, why I would rather counsel you to talk it out and work things out, blah, 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 blah. Ask me that question. I've got that shit ready to go. But you cheat on your wife, Chris. On paper, that's your decision in your relationship. So why am I angry? So then I deal with the anger of it going, okay, I'm angry because I projected on you that if my wife cheated on me and this and that and the other, so I deal with my personal stuff. So now the anger is gone. Now on paper I go, okay, Chris, here's why I'm going to talk to you because this is unacceptable in this company because I I expect to be able to trust you and you just showed me I can't trust you because the person who's married to you can't trust you. So I can deal with it calmly, and talk with you if in that scenario that's how i can especially if i'm in the wrong now obviously in that case i, I i'm not in the wrong in the case with more than success freaks there are many times when i would just get mad at him and i'd finally go okay why am i angry i'm angry because this is this well what did i add to it did i help the situation did i actually clearly communicate what i wanted to communicate?" Well, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Let's try a different way. And it takes the anger down, and I can go to the situation that I'm unhappy with and go, this is what I would like to see. This is what I thought I was trying to say. What is your side of it? So my whole point with that long-ass explanation was when I'm in the wrong or I think I can handle it differently, I will. So when it's a true, you're, you're an enemy of mine, anger, then it's that weapon, and you don't threaten my family. That you threaten my family in a real way. I mean, words are yeah, words mean things, but I know people talk shit all the time. People make stupid jokes, whatever. If I feel threatened, that's a bad day for you. I am the mama bear in the woods. I am I am the the hurt animal cornered. I will do things in a whole different pathway that you can't come back from if I feel threatened to my family. You threaten. I mean, personally, I I rarely feel threatened. Uh, I've never had a gun put in my face. Thank God, uh, because the way I've reacted to other things, I have to imagine that I'm probably going to try to kill you with your own gun, which might end up in my death instead. I don't have fear. I have anger. So you put a gun in my face. My rule of I go home in the morning kicks in, and it depends on the situation. If I can, if I feel like I can, I will give you my wallet and shit. If I can give you the money, I if I'm in a gr- I don't go to a stop and rob's very often. I go to nicer convenience stores like 7-Elevens and quick trips. But if I'm in a stop and rob and some shit starts to go down, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to lay down, put my hands on my head, put my face in the ground. If I hear somebody come near me, it's like, dude, I got my eyes closed. I don't know who the fuck you are. I've got no dog in this fight. All I want to do is go home. You want my wallet? Here's my wallet. Here's my phone. Gone. That shit, stu- that's just stuff. I have no dog in this fight. I'm not going to try to protect the owner. I I go home in the morning. That's my rule. Take his shit, I don't care, it's not mine. Take my shit, I don't care, it's just stuff. But if I feel threatened, like you you come in on these TV scenarios and you put a gun in my face, I don't know what I would do because that, that steel-cold anger is going to kick in and I'm going to try to find a way to kill you because you just threatened everything that was valuable to me. And I don't know if all this answers your question, Chris, but I, yeah, I'll recap it, I'll recap it. You heard how it got created, where the, the dark, deep, dark anger came from. You heard how I deal with it, how I started to deal with it. you got to take the fuel away. If it's rage, if it's burning constantly in you, if it's something that you've learned to live with, you've got to start taking the fuel away from that fire. You have to desire peace in your life. You have to desire love and positive stuff in your life. So you have to start asking, what's my earliest memory? What is that? how that made me feel right now and what does that tell me tell me who I am as an adult what does that tell me about me now start taking that fuel away then as you really progress with that as you find yourself getting angry reach for love and it's hard it is so goddamn hard I was so proud of myself in that fight I was so proud of myself with only reacting a few times instead of raging out and fighting back the whole time I reacted to a few moments it gave my wife what she needed. She needed to vent a lot of that stuff. She needed to deal with a lot of that stuff. We needed to have some re, we needed a reset. I mean, sometimes in life you need a reset, a, 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 a reboot, if you will, like in computer terms. If stuff starts going glitchy with your computer and you left it on all the time, why do they, why does IT tell you to turn it off and back on again? Because it refreshes everything. You turn it off; it dumps the memory. It cleans the slate for the computer. You turn it back on, and all, and hopefully, theoretically, and typically, everything runs better. It's just gotten cluttered. You need that in life too. And that was a reboot for us. We needed that. Things had gotten cluttered in life. And then, how do I influence it? Because there's no control. That's how I influence it. Reach for love as hard as that. What do I? What do I truly want in my heart to happen here? What would I love to happen? Reach for love. And then finally, how does it motivate me? Is it becomes that steel hardened plate? Like in my heart and soul, I become Colossus to a point. Oh, no, no, no. This is how this is going to go. My favorite thing that I remember from a movie that influenced me is called Sneakers with Robert Redford. And it's about these thieves and this and that and the other. But the moment then where James Earl Jones comes in, and this is from the 80s, so you can yell spoilers all you want, but you're just behind. But James Earl Jones comes in. And the way he delivers this, this is how it's going to be, speech, done. This It's not quite fair. It's not quite right. But, this, but he's so calm. He even has a little smirk on his face, a little smile. I remember that's who I want to be. That's who I become when that anger is a motivation. I become the guy of like, nope, I have all the power. By the power of Griscoll. <laughs> no, but I truly am the strongest person here right now. That anger is what makes me strong there's only a few ways this is going to go and none of them are good for you so that's a deep one another hour and a half show that mike is going to cut down a little bit on uh but i wanted to answer every aspect of this question and chris i hope it helps thank you for reaching out and giving me that question if you the listener listener, the people i love thank you for being a part this is not just a show to me this is a journey in my life this is not just memories. And no, I mean, this helps me grow sometimes. Sometimes I learn something new about myself. Sometimes I, I, I dive in and, and define more of myself or just have the opportunity to say, hey, my experiences weren't worthless. Because if your experiences aren't learned from, they're worthless. As you learn from them, they're worthwhile. If somebody else can learn from them, That's fucking gold, and that's amazing, and I feel driven to bring amazing to this world. And for you to listen and know you're listening out there. I see numbers. Numbers aren't great, but they're there, and that you're listening and you're feeding back that. Thank you so much for being a part of my life in this show. Keep doing that. Send me your questions, rgop at charlesmcfall.com. Hit me up at rockgottapodcasting.com. Leave the speak pipe message like Chris left today. Facebook.com forward slash Rock God of Podcasting is where you can chat with me. You can share your thoughts. We can have those discussions. And even, I'm going to tell you how it is. Because if you want to open, honest discussion, you find Charles McFall on Facebook. You want Rock God where I'm going to know this is my thoughts on this matter. I'm sorry if I offend you, but this is my safe area. I'll share my undiluted thoughts on things. And I already have been over there. So check that out. Twitter is at Rock God of Pod. That's where everything is. And just, yeah just come be a part tell everybody about the show please go to iTunes and rate it I need your your ratings on iTunes share it with people and just help me spread the word because I want more people to learn from the mistakes I've made and from the lessons I've learned and I do enjoy sharing the stories thank you for coming along the ride and go out and make your life awesome Okay, podcasters and YouTubers. My name is Mike Woodard, otherwise known as producer slash audio engineer for the rock god of podcasting. Look, you know you're producing amazing content, but is your audio game as tight as it needs to be? If you need to level up the overall sound of your show, I'm your guy. If you need a kick-ass intro for your show, I'm your guy. If you hate the sound of your own voice and just need someone to handle your voiceover narration, I'm your guy. Need music beds? Need sound effects? Just go to mikeatthemike.com. Check out my demos and take a look at my rates. You can sound better than you do, and I can help. mikeatthemike.com